Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Isn't It Lovely podcast, the podcast that seeks to shine the light on all that is lovely. I'm Rachel. And I am Tracy. And we have a very special episode today for you. We had the great honor of sitting next to golf legend and just extraordinary human being, Nancy Lopez. Nancy was extraordinary. This was a really special event for Tracy and I. We were invited to do our very first live show, live recording. This was over at the Sanford International Tournament that was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota in September. And we were so delighted and honored to sit down with Nancy, who was the keynote speaker, and get to interview her. We talked so much about her career in golf, but really we just got to know her heart, which is kind of what we really wanted. And she just... She blew us away, and we are just so excited for you guys to listen. There's some spectacular wisdom there. And also just a note, because this was a live show, the audio is going to sound a little differently for you. We have edited up and cleaned it up as much as we could, but it may sound a little bit echoey just because of the acoustics of the room, but we think her message is still going to come across loud and clear. So thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you love hearing from Nancy. Record, Nancy. This is going to go on record now. (laughs) You guys, we started this podcast because we wanted to just bring the focus on positive things. In this world today, there's so many dark things happening, and we just thought, let's just have conversations that are uplifting and we can focus on the lovely. So could there be a a more lovely guest than Nancy Lopez? Nancy, we are so happy to be with you today. Thank you. They gave her an awesome introduction, but one of the things, Nancy, that I love about you is you are the most celebrated, most successful, and most recognized women golfer ever. And you're sitting here with us. I know. <laughs> Yay. So we're just going to jump into a little bit about your life, if that's okay. We're just going to dive right in. Sure. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I'm going to kick us off here. We're going to we're going to bring back the '70s, guys, which was a great era for fashion, for women's sports, because this is when Nancy started her career. So your career has spanned decades. Can you talk to us a little bit about the ways that women's sports have changed since you started your career, and the ways that they have stayed the same? Well, it has definitely changed. Um, when I came out on the tour, or even before I came out on the tour, when I was playing amateur golf. Um, there were a lot of obstacles that I had to go through. Uh, being, first of all, young and female, I had to play before 9 o'clock uh, in the mornings at some golf courses. So that's changed. So that's a positive. But I started playing golf when I was 8 years old with my dad, um, who was my best friend, my hero, just everything positive in my life. Because he was a man that believed in being positive. Um, He always told me I could do whatever I wanted to, if I really wanted to, and I had to set goals. I was a goal setter always in my life, as a young person, and in my career. And as I grew up playing golf with my dad, who was my teacher, um, he had a lot of anecdotes to golf. Um, And I was saying today that my mantra for my company is play happy, and and those those are things my dad taught me because... When you're playing golf, and and you can even relate it to to life, he said, I always played better when I played happy. Mm -hmm. So those are things that he taught me as I was playing the game of golf. And, um, you know, the the times I was playing and trying to be that really good golfer because I loved golf, I wanted to practice, I wanted to win, I wanted to be the best I could, there were days that that just didn't happen. Um, And I tell the story because this is how my dad was. He was very positive. I'm playing in a Women's U.S. Open in Philadelphia, 
had worked really hard, practiced really hard to get ready to win a U.S. Open one day. And um, I went to this event. After two days, I, I knew I was missing the cut. I was already 12 over par. And it was Friday afternoon. My dad was following me. And as I walked off the green, I was crying um, and sad that I knew I was not going to make the cut. As I, as I walked off the green, I hugged my dad with tears in my eyes. And he hugged me. And he had a really strong Spanish accent. He was the cutest little guy. So he hugged me, and, and like I said, I was crying, and he hugged me, and he said, it's okay, Nancy. I don't want to see you at 26 over par anyway. <laughs> so I went from crying to laughing, because as we all know, I'm sure many of us have, our dads were our favorite person in the world, and my dad was that person. So if it was okay with him that I was 12 over, then everything was good. So that's pretty much how he raised me, playing the game of golf. And, and as I played, <clears throat> I tried to play on the boys' golf team at one time, and I had to play junior varsity because back in the early 70s, women were not allowed to play golf, play in any body contact sport. Well, we couldn't figure out how golf was a body contact sport. <laughs> um, so there was a civil, civil liberties union lawyer from Albuquerque, New Mexico. She called me and said, would you like to play on the boys' golf team? And I said, I, I would, but I, you know, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to cause any issues. So um, she said, I'm going to take it to the Board of Education and try and figure this out because you should be able to play on varsity because there was no girls' golf team. And if I was good enough to play with the guys, then they should let me play. So um, she took it to the Board of Education. They agreed that golf was not a body contact sport. And they said if she's good enough and she can qualify for the men's team, she could play. So I was able to qualify number fourth on the team. And uh, we won the New Mexico State Championship for high school, which was really a big feather in, in my cap for me to be on a boys team and do that. So as time went on, you know, we're still trying to, as a, as a young person, as a female, um, where can I go to college? I wanted to go to Arizona State um, and play golf there, but there were no scholarships for girls. Title IX had passed, but nothing was really yet changing over. And um, so I wanted to go to Arizona State, no full scholarship. My dad wanted to pay for my school. She said, he said, I, I'll pay for your school. Because he only went to third grade, and he wanted me to have opportunity. And I said, no, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm going to earn it. I have to go on my own. I don't want you to spend any more money on my career, and I know I can do this. So Colgate Pomala was a big advocate for women's golf, and I ended up winning the Colgate Pomala Golf Scholarship. David Foster was the president, and it was for a player that for the need for her grades and her golf. So um, my mom and dad went to New York. I was going to get this award and win a partial scholarship. And Tulsa University was interested in me because um, they were starting the girls' golf team. So <clears throat> we're going to. I'm going to New York to get this scholarship. I had just played in the, in, uh, the women's Western event in Pinehurst. Got off a plane. I got got off the golf course. Flew to New York in my golf clothes, sweaty, stinky. Pfizer head, and, <laughs> and everybody was there in black tux, and um, I finally get there, nobody's there to pick me up, uh, they were there to pick me up, but I couldn't find them, 
Of course, I didn't know where I was going. So I decided to look through the yellow pages <laughs> and find out where the Waldorf Astoria was and find out if someone could take me there. Well, finally someone found me. We got there, didn't have time to take a shower, didn't have time to change, went up to the front and accepted my scholarship from Colgate-Palmolive in my golf shorts, in my sweat, and my visor head. My mom and dad were there. It was just it was just a wonderful experience for them because they had never been to New York. Mm -hmm. So all these wonderful positive things were happening in my life. And I played for Tulsa University for two years, trying to get an engineering degree. Um, I thought I was good with numbers. Uh, but after being on the on the team and trying to uh, be tutored by math teachers, it was really hard. And the school said, well, you're either going to play golf or study, because I was making straight C's. That's not what they wanted. <laughs> so that's when I decided to turn professional and go on the women's tour, and of course, taking a big chance, because mm -hmm. I really wanted to get an education so that if I didn't make it on the tour, I'd have something to fall back on. Absolutely. So that's pretty much how it started. Wow. What am I doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> and that was a long Same. answer, I know. Wow. It was perfect. It. it was perfect. I want to go back to your dad real quick. Um, you credit him for teaching you how to golf, teaching you the game, how to compete. He also taught you how to fail and to fail well. Um, talk about that. A lot of us are mothers in the room, and we read an article that said a lot of parents were afraid to let our kids fail. Why is it important to let our children fail? Well, <clears throat> first of all, our, parent, our, our children will be successful when they fail. But all parents, I think most of all, when I, when I see parents of today, many of them are really hard on kids that are trying to be successful in sports or whatever. Um, the LPG tour, even we have parents that are really tough on these young players that are trying to make it. But my dad was just not like that. And I truly believe I was successful because he let me fail. And yet once I failed, he always came up to me, hugged me and always said, let's just try a little bit harder. He always would work with me and he was always positive. And I just really believed I could do anything I wanted. And he, one statement he made to me that was true, but not negative, he looked at me one day and he said, because he knew I wanted to win. I wanted to win everything I could win. And he looked at me and he said, you're going to lose a lot more than you win. So you need to get used to it. And it wasn't a negative. He just wanted me to be a great champion and a great competitor, even if I don't win tournaments. And so he was always saying that to me, being positive. You know, when I hit a bad shot, Go, go hit the next one in. And, and what he would say would be, if you have a backswing, you have a chance. So no matter where you are, if you have a backswing, you can advance it and try and get it in the hole. And if you try this every time you hit a shot, it's amazing how much better you get. Hmm. So the attitude that my, had, my dad had was always very positive. I remember going to his, he owned an auto body repair shop. And in the summertime, I would stay at his shop and answer his phone, it was East Second Body Shop. That's the name of his shop. <laughs> I love it. And, um, and I watched him because, and I, you don't realize as we're growing up, our children learn so much from us by watching us. And I know when I was with my dad, and he took pride in what he did, how he fixed the dents, how he made sure the car looked great when it was painted. And if a customer came up and said, you know, his name was Sunday, Domingo in Spanish, um, they, if they said something was not quite right, he fixed it. Never argued with them. 
is always good to people. And I guess as I watched him during the summertime, I realized how good he was to people and how he was going to let them be right. He was going to do his job perfect. And I know that I learned a lot from that by watching him. Because where else did I learn that I love people, I enjoy people, I like to sign the autographs. Um, I, 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 there's just so much positive there. And I, I, there's many times I've gone to rookie orientation and I told these rookies, you have to sign the autographs. I said, because I know there's, oh, then there, oh, I promise you, I'm not perfect. There are days after I finished a round, I'm sitting in the tent going, oh my gosh, I don't want to sign any autographs, please. Oh, oh. <laughs> so I sit there for a little while, and okay, it's not about me. These people came to watch me. And I told the rookies, I said, when you go out there and you start signing autographs, the first person says, oh, Nancy, we love you, and you sign it. You'll do better tomorrow, Nancy, and you sign that. <laughs> Just keep it up. We'll, we'll be here tomorrow to root for you. And you keep signing that. And then by the time you're done signing, you feel great. Even though you play terrible that day, you feel great. So I always told, always told the little rookies, I said, to sign those autographs. There may be times you don't want to sign them, but it's a good thing. And to me, the fans are what made, or who, what, they made Nancy Lopez, Nancy Lopez, because they were out there cheering for me. Good, bad, through two marriages. They always got nice letters. When I wasn't putting well, I got putters in the mail. <laughs> they're always wanting to help you. I so I had to have a bunch of people rooting for me that may be ugly to them and then talk bad about me. So, so it was always fun to make people smile. And, and I have to tell a story why I probably did do that. I had a negative thing happen to me when I was... 15 years old, I went to uh, Los Angeles. My dad took me there for my 15th birthday to the Glenn Campbell LA Open. And I wanted to see my favorite PGA professional. I I've never told anybody except my husband because I don't want to throw him under the bus. <laughs> but I'm standing there with a bunch of people. Here I am, 15 years old. I want an autograph from my hero. And we knew what Dory was going to come out of so we could get his, our, his autograph. So he walks out, and I'm probably about two or three people behind the first person that gets to ask him for the autograph. And he said, Mr. So-and-so, can I have your autograph? And he kind of looked around, and he said, I don't have time for this. Hmm. And I felt so bad for the man that asked him, hmm. but I felt bad because I really thought this was my hero. Hmm. So as a 15-year-old, I stood there, and I said to myself, if anybody ever asks me for my autograph, I, or if I'm ever a professional, I will not ever say no to somebody because of that. Because it was important. Mm -hmm. And he made everyone feel bad. So that's why I sign autographs, too, is because it's important. If they're asking you for your autograph, you should sign it. So I learned from that. Maybe that was a blessing that I met him, and he did that and was not nice. It helped, helped me to realize that that autograph was important. Nancy, is he here at this tournament? I'm just <laughs> Can you tell us after? Everybody tries to guess. Does it rhyme with? No. <laughs> 
That is such a beautiful answer. And I think what is striking me about your answers, Nancy, too, is just the tremendous amount of empathy you have. You have these beautiful life lessons learned at a young age, and to internalize that and to share all of that with us today is just so encouraging, and it's so uplifting. And you have this incredibly celebrated career, which we love to talk about. You also have devoted a tremendous amount of energy, time, and resources to charitable causes, to philanthropy. And you also have a couple of other adventures. You have Nancy Lopez's golf adventures. You guys are going to Hawaii in a couple of weeks. Sounds amazing. You have a clothing line. Could you share with us a little bit about transitions? As you found that you had a little bit more time in your life to devote to philanthropy or to your other business, could you talk to us about what it was like to have a second and third act in your life while still making time for your true love of golf? Well, it started really at, at a very young age. I was 20 years old, um, and my heart and charity is aimed for the handicap, which stands for uh, Adventures in Movement. And when I was 20 years old, Dr. Joe, who started the music program, uh, came up to me at Kings Island. I was at the LPGA Championship there, and she had... She had read all about me. She, this is how she told me that she wanted me to, to be her national ambassador. She had Billie Jean King, and she had um, uh, Joe Morgan with the Cincinnati Reds at that time. So she wanted a golfer. And she said she came to the LPGA Championship because the AIM office is in Dayton, Ohio. This was in Cincinnati. And she, and if you knew Dr. Joe, she's just some kind of person. She's awesome. We love her. She's raised money for handicapped children for a long time. Um, and she just the best. She's 86 now. So I didn't know. She said, I stalked you. I said, you stalked me? She said, yes, I stalked you. I came to the LPGA Championship because I read all these things about you, and you just couldn't be that nice. That's what she said. So she said she followed me. I'd gone into the pro shop or into the locker room, came out. And I had my arms full of golf balls and gloves and whatever I had in my arms. And she said, a little boy came up to me and asked me for my autograph. And she said, you put everything down on the ground and you're so sweet to that little boy. And you signed his autograph. And she said, I have to have her to be my national ambassador. Wow. So Dr. Joe, if you could all meet her, you would fall in love with her. And you know how people, when they walk up to you and they're going to ask you for money, you know they are. You kind of avoid them. You don't avoid Dr. Joe. You want her to come and ask you for money. That's, that's just it. how special she is. So she asked me if I would be her national ambassador. I was 20, and I said, you know, Dr. Joe, I said, I don't want to just put my name on a pamphlet. I said, if I'm going to get involved, I'm going to get involved. So I said, you know, let my rookie year go by and let me see how things go. Well, I ended up winning nine tournaments my rookie year. And I, I said to myself, after those nine wins, I, I was like, wow, okay, there's something missing. Yeah, I, I had won, won the tournaments. I won the money. It was great because I had no money. And it was really nice to have that comfort. But then I called Dr. Joe and I said, Dr. Joe, I want to come and visit you. So I drove to the AIM office. She had brought a, a husband and wife there uh, for me to meet them, and I met their children. They had two Down syndrome children. Um, they were born with that one Down syndrome child, and they adopted another Down syndrome to raise with their child. And that just stole my heart. Yeah. 
And then when I got to see Dr. Joe in this little bitty building that they don't spend very much money on anything except to help those kids, I thought that's what I want to be involved in. So that Aim for the Handicap is where I started. I, I, I did a, for 30 years hospice in my hometown. We built a hospice home. And then all the professionals on tour, Chris DeMarco had one for uh, Cancer for Children, then Camp for Cancer, uh, for Women Breast Cancer. So you help each other as you go along the way. Why not? You know, the thing is, you if you're a personality or a celebrity, you do draw to events and you can bring more people to help raise more money. And it's important because I was blessed, God blessed me to have a talent that I could do what I do. I have three healthy young women, daughters, and it's good to help. It's good to help everybody that needs help if you can. Um, because really and truly, when you lay your head down at night, I feel good. And I think that's so important for all of us to do that. Because I think sometimes in this day and time, we become very selfish. Um, but it really feels good to help other people. And I think people would be nicer if they would help other people and they realize that, that they need that in their life to, to be able to help other people, be a philanthropist, and help everyone that you can, especially when you're blessed the way that we are. One thing that we loved when we were researching, too, is they had asked children the question, well, Nancy Lopez, the, the golfer, and they're like, we don't know Nancy Lopez, the golfer. We know Nancy who loves us. And it was such a beautiful legacy. And you have so many amazing decorations behind your name. But I'm sure that's something that you carry with you a lot. Well, it's amazing when you, you meet children with special needs. And um, they stole in my heart. Um, I have lots of stories. Um, they make me cry when I talk yeah. about them because they're just... Um, they're just special, and I, I need to tell this one story because I always tell this one because it just um, it, it affected me a lot from the very beginning. There was this little boy that I met um, with AIM, and he was in a wheelchair, um, and his head was basically he was laying in his lap. He was slouched over, head was in his lap, and I walked over to him, and I was down there when I, I used to be able to get down there, you know, bend down. <laughs> I can't bend down there anymore. Um, and I'm trying to get his attention and nothing. He wouldn't pay attention to me. And that kind of bothered me because I knew I could get to him, but I didn't. So I got to meet him. Time goes on. And I just happened to go up to Dr. Joe and say, Dr. Joe, I never see the finished product here. You know, I see a lot of great things, and I see these kids respond to music, but I've never seen the complete package. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know, a couple years go by, and Dr. Joe, we're going to the dinner, and she says, I have a surprise for you. And when Dr. Joe says she has a surprise for you, you get excited. <laughs> so the dinner that night, I was at the podium, and I looked over to the side, and there's this little boy, and he's in his wheelchair, and he's sitting up in his wheelchair, and his teacher pushes him up to me, and he has a rose between his legs, and he grabs a rose, and he looks up at me, and he says, I love you, Nancy Lopez. Aww. And I realized that that was a little boy whose head was in his lap, mm. okay? So another couple of years go by, and Dr. Joe says, 
have a surprise for you. I'm like, oh, this is great. So we have a dinner, and I'm up at the podium, and she introduces this little guy, and he had the most beautiful blue eyes. So he he's standing to the side with his teacher, and he walks to me. It took a long time for him to walk, 15 feet. He walked very slowly. He had a rose in his hand. He's carrying it. And he's walking towards me with his teacher by his side. And when he got to me, he looked up at me. He says, I love you, Nancy Lopez. Mm. And, of course, I knew it was that little boy. And tears were in my eyes. He said, I have, he says, this is, I've only walked for you and my teacher. So, you know, everybody that was there, the tears before, everybody was, you know, very emotional. So now years go by, and now we have my event at the Villages, Florida. And there's a video, and Dr. Joe shows this video, and it's a video of this young man playing football, and he's jumping through the tires, and he's just great. And his mom talks about AIM and what AIM did for him. And I looked at Dr. Joe, because she's sitting next to me, and said, that is a great story. <laughs> Well, I didn't recognize him. So all of a sudden, it was really quiet, and somebody taps me on my shoulder, and I turned around, and I, and I looked at him. I mean, now he's, you know, six foot tall, and he had a rose, and he looked at me. Oh, my gosh. He said, I love you, Nancy Lopez. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I, I looked up, and I knew him right away, and Dr. Joe said, there's the finished product. Oh, my gosh. Can we just applaud that, please? <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that story. Nancy. It was special, really. Wow, was. That is really special and so powerful. What you're doing with your gift and blessing others is just really amazing. I want to pivot for a second. I know we have tears in our eyes. Yeah. And we <laughs> want Dr. Joe's number. move on from this. Um, the other thing, we have a group full of women here in this room, and we know the power that it is when women come together. And part of what you do today, still, Nancy, is mentoring other women, empowering them, encouraging them. Can you talk to us about the women in your life that have done that for you? Um, you know, my mom, I don't talk a lot about my mom, but she was really um, the foundation for me to be the little girl, the, the adult, and then the woman, because I lost her when I was 19. She did not get to watch me win any golf tournaments, but she did get to see me qualify for the LPG tour. But my mom was... Um, a great mom. And I think when women say they're moms, you're the best thing in the world. Because moms are the best. They don't have to have a job because they have a really tough job. Being home, taking care of their family. And I think sometimes we don't give ourselves credit like that. And sometimes women, we don't take time for ourselves to take care of ourselves. And I always promote that in women because I love seeing all these women. I know many of them probably don't play golf. But you should. Because <laughs> golf is a great game. It's a great way to get out and just enjoy what golf offers. We were talking about this out there at the, at the um, uh, clinic. It's just a great place to be. The golf course, smelling that fresh green grass, being in the sunshine. Even if it's raining, it's fun. Um, but my mom was 
the person that made me the woman that I am. Um, she had rules, a lot more than my dad. Um, you know, when I when I, I didn't get to, well, back then we wore pantsuits and dresses. I don't know if you remember that. You couldn't wear anything else. Didn't wear jeans. Um, when I bent down to read a putt, I'd keep my legs together. That was important. Um, it's really bad for your back, though, by the way. Um, but I remember going to the doctor, and he said, because I, I had trouble with my back, he said, you, you know, you're, when you squat down, you're supposed to separate your legs just a little bit. I go, oh, no. My mom told me, I can't do that. So I'm doing what my mom says. I'm not doing what you're saying. Um, but I love being in a room full of women. I mean, there's women are so talented, and there's so many. I mean, each one of you is important. And, and I always want women to feel that way because I know from growing up and playing golf and kind of pushed to the side a little bit and even being, been, being Hispanic, there was a little of that going on. But you know, my mom and my dad, never they were never poor me or poor us. They always told me if I did my best, if I worked hard, my work ethic was good, I was honest. You know, being a good person lifts you and takes you so far in life. You know, having a big heart, and that's so important. But I know that women, I think, run the world. Yes. Um, they have to juggle children. They have to juggle life. They have to help their husbands. Their husbands help them, too. I have a great husband. Um, so there's a lot of give and take. But women really don't take time for themselves because we feel guilty. As they were saying earlier, we feel guilty. We shouldn't feel guilty. I've learned to stop feeling guilty which is good because we need to take time for ourselves. When I'm on the golf course, I recharge. That's where I get, get recharged to be the best wife I could be, the best mom I could be because we need that. We need to take care of ourselves. And I learned that from being on the tour because I, when I started playing on the LPGA tour, Ashley, my oldest, is going to be 39 this year. She traveled with me. We didn't have daycare. And so, you know, as a mother, I couldn't really leave her with someone because I was worried. Who is that person? Who's that person taking care of her? Yeah. I didn't know that. And so for women playing golf or focusing or at their job, they need someone that's taking care of their child so they can be the best they can be. And so um, I had a full-time nanny. Thank God I could because I was making money and I could take her with me. And I wanted her to teach Ashley what I wanted her to learn when I wasn't with her every day. Mm -hmm. And then I had Tor uh, Then I had Erin, my middle daughter. She's she's 36. And by the way, she's going to have a baby. We just found out. Um, excited because we didn't know if she was going to be able to have a baby. So it was a real positive. We're blessed. Um, so being able to have them out on tour with me and traveling, I had to juggle my life, my focus, um, so that when I left them at the hotel, I had to go focus. And I tell the story because when you are a professional, women are all professionals what they do. When I played golf, when I was outside the rope, that was my life. Once I walked inside the rope, it was only golf because I couldn't do anything about what was going on outside the ropes. Yeah. So that's how I was able to focus. So I focused on my life inside the ropes when I was done. Then I focused on my life outside the ropes. And that's how I kind of juggled it because I was married to a professional baseball player. So we were juggling a lot of careers and a lot of stuff that went on. And 
Thank God I could do it at an early age because now I wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> I'd be too tired. So after two year, after two children, um, then Smuckers, uh, we have a daycare now on the LPG tour, which really gave women the opportunity to have children so that week in and week out they could travel with the same kids and be with the same people. So it made it was there was so much more stability for our kids to be able to do that. So. I didn't want golf to stop me from having children because I always wanted to have children. So I was blessed to have three great daughters and I, I have to pat myself on the back because they're three great people. You do. So <laughs> three good people. I can see every profile that we have read about you talks about your graciousness, your genuine spirit, your warmth, your kindness, your empathy. You've shown us that in spades today, and it has been such a joy and privilege to be able to sit here and share this conversation with you. Thank you so much for answering our questions, and thank you so much for being yeah. here today. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of Isn't It Lovely? If you love what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe by clicking on our show in your favorite podcast app and following the prompts. You can download all of our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at www.isitnotlovely.com. And we are also on Instagram and our handle is Is It Not Lovely Podcast. Keep looking for the lovely in all things. Thanks for listening.